In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator? Or not. Uh, my party is going bat crazy. Yeah! You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Hello, and welcome to the Sup Daily Podcast. I'm Caitlin Bird. And I'm Amanda Duberman. And the Betches Sup Podcast is your daily rundown of all the craziest shit going on in the news, brought to you by our two funniest friends, which is us. us. Which is us. <laughs> Happy Wednesday, Caitlin. How's it going? Happy Wednesday. I'm so excited that like we still know days of the week. I know. I feel I like know. I've gone through kindergarten again in some ways. Like, I'm so excited. What month is that? I know. I know. It's the first of the month. <laughs> so exciting. I just got gleeful when you mentioned that. I forgot that it's a new it's a new month. It's Amazing. a new month. Um, it's it's a Wednesday. I feel like, again, like, just just basic, I'm so excited I wake up and I'm like, I know basic facts about place, time, and where I am in space. This is very exciting. I'm in my apartment. It's Wednesday. It's July. I, okay. Exactly. Oh, man. Have you actually, have you watched um, Lennox Hill on Netflix? I haven't. Have you heard of it? Oh. This is only related because I watched all of it. It's about, like, ERs and, like, doctors at Lennox Hill, and it was... I watched it and now I'm never going to complain again. <laughs> so I was oh. like, we finished it last night and this morning I woke up and I was like, I just took a breath. How lucky am I? It's Wednesday. Yeah. It's Wednesday. This is the most exciting. <laughs> Especially so exciting. There were primaries yesterday. Voting happened. And Woo-hoo. I hear it went okay. Um, well, relative to the absolute shit shows we've been used to from our public voting systems, yes. Yes, it went pretty well. Um, out in Colorado, Colorado, is there like a difference in how you pronounce Colorado? I don't know. I'm I just going to say Colorado. Good cue. My boyfriend is from Colorado and he does not say Colorado. He says Colorado. Colorado. Yeah, it's abroad, not a rad. I, I feel, like, really bad about this because, like, you know, after seven years of Spanish, my brain. <laughs> I know. Uh, um. <laughs> I just learned that we're supposed to say Nevada. I've oh, been wow, saying Nevada. No, Nevadans will get, like, Nevadans will, will cut you if you don't say it correctly. I learned. And Col- with- Coloradans are a little gentler about it. What's crazy about that is that, like, if you if you actually say it in Spanish, you're totally wrong. It should be Nevada. Like, ne- oh, <laughs> what? but Nevada. That's why I messed is, it up. Is how is how it's been been going on for for Nevadans. So I will don't don't throw things at me, people from Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I'm in New York. You're in Nevada. Anyway, um, <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> Successfully uh, nominated John Hinkenlooper, their current governor. 
uh, to run for Senate uh, against Cory Gardner. Um, he secured the nomination pretty cleanly, very quickly. Colorado votes by mail. So basically, they actually were able to, and they've got a very specific process. They mailed everything out pretty early. And then um, they actually start counting votes before primary day uh, because they've got such a long lead time on the voting. So, um, and they've been doing this since 2014. So they actually are, like, like their understanding of the, the possible financial benefits of marijuana, uh, they also are ahead on <laughs> voting. It's, it seems like a great pitch for Colorado right now. Like, Absolutely. move to Colorado, <laughs> get lit and vote. Okay. Um, That's exactly and- what my Colorado boyfriend says every single day. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> He's like, why am I in New York? We could be in Colorado. Right oh, now. he loves to talk about the type of home we could have if we lived in Colorado, which would just, which simply would have more than one room. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. More yeah. than one room. More than one room. It's not yeah. legal. <laughs> anyway, um, so basically they, they, uh, they basically settled all the voting pretty quickly. People can still vote in person. Only 6% of Coloradans vote in person now. Um, and basically, as soon as you make voting more available, turnout was up. They had really great returns. Um, and uh, every time you expand voting, basically, more people participate, which is great because that's what the purpose of voting is. Tell us right. what the public wants and their elected officials. So the more people who participate, the better voting is. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Never good when small amounts of people vote. Always good when large amounts of people vote. As many people as possible. You want you want to be like, oh my gosh, like this person who just turned 18 yesterday also voted. Like that should be how excited you are, like how easy it is to vote. Yeah. Um, also, bizarrely, I guess like there's a gun-themed restaurant owner who's going to possibly be in Congress now. <laughs> I don't know. Like a Republican primary system for me is always like, like whenever you start paying attention to whatever Republicans are doing and you're like, oh, someone lost in the primary. You're like, oh, so they went from, and you're like, oh man, maybe there's progress in the Republican Party. You look and it's like some crazy ass shit. Like, hey, I, I, I think I, people should be guns. And you're like, wow, that's, that's actually like a, a worse, yeah. <laughs> that's a worse iteration than what we, we had, which I thought was already batshit crazy. I mean, <laughs> people were like, Steve King lost. And I was like, that's not good. That's right. not good, you guys. That means someone <laughs> crazier than Stephen King and won that primary. Exactly. <laughs> Not an answer. Right. I know. It's always like it can go either way when you hear like the Trump-backed candidate lost. You're like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> in a good way or in a bad way? Yeah, there's no telling anymore because like I, I hate to be mean about this, but never Trumpers are not a meaningful constituency inside the Republican Party. <laughs> so whenever you hear like a Republican, a Trump back Republican loss, like do not get excited. That does not mean what you think. I know. My dad always texts me. He's like, I love George Conway. I think things are going to be fine. I'm like, dad, I don't, I don't think George Conway is going to save you. <laughs> George Conway still married to Kellyanne Conway. I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like, it, I just want to be clear that if anything goes wrong, like if we, if we actually were to succeed, it's very possible Kellyanne Conway could go to prison Right. Unless right. prison abolitionists get their way before the next election. That's <laughs> I true. somehow doubt. I just don't but, think it's going to happen. But did you see that her daughter is trolling Trump on TikTok? 
I I did see some evidence yeah. of that. Yes, I'm the family dynamics very very confusing to me. She's a propagandist for a traitor, and the rest of the family is kind of like still there, but like, haha, you work for an asshole. And, right, uh, right. Yeah. Family dinners must be hilarious slash mildly terrifying. Would watch a reality show. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, if Sarah Palin showed up on The Masked Singer, I think we could probably get a get Ryan Seacrest to produce a Conway. Keeping up with the Conways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Even if you're just going to do like like an Andy Cohen hosted episode of them talking with each other. Yeah, it would be on <laughs> Zoom, but they'd all be in separate rooms of their home. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> voting, though. <laughs> yeah, right? Anyway, meanwhile in Washington, this is not related to this conversation, but I wanted to put it in here because I just read it. But the current president uh, said that he's going to veto this year's proposed $740 billion annual annual defense bill if it includes an amendment that would require the Pentagon to change the names of bases named for Confederate military leaders. It just sort of seems like this is the main Trump 2020 platform now, is racist, terrible statues. (laughs) Keep them up. To be fair, that was his platform in 2016 the whole concept of like making america great again when when like okay but what is what he never defined when when it was great and it was kind of like one of those things that no one ever well let me be clear white journalists did not interrogate black journalists had no problem figuring out what make america great again meant (laughs) but white people were like i don't know what does he mean I guess we just long for like this great America. Like what great America? Was yeah. it when black people were being uh, killed in the drug war? Or maybe it was back when we were literally barred from public space whatsoever. Yeah, that was great America. Anyway, the point being yeah. like he's in love with racist statues because uh, he's in love with racism and he thinks that like America is built on racism and that ending the racism is ending America. And, you know, I mean, there, there are people on, on this side of the argument that might say, yes, ending racism would end America. It would end, but, right, as we know it. As we know it. That's fine. That's fine. I'm fine with that. Cosign. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. 
Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. And in Kentucky, it looks like we mentioned this on the end of the podcast yesterday. Um, we were doing the podcast when it was like, I was watching this yesterday afternoon. It was just like going up and down. Um, and it looks like Amy McGrath has defeated Charles Booker. She's the former Marine fighter pilot sort of handpicked by the party to mount a real challenge to Mitch McConnell there. She famously raised tons and tons of money. I think partly because she was sort of heralded as like the, she was just anointed very early. But yes. then obviously Charles Booker, um, just surged ahead of her um, and made a really strong case for why he was the better pick and was very nearly successful. Um, But it looks like McGrath won by about two points. Um, So McGrath and Hickenlooper, who we just talked about, are both going to try to unseat Republicans in November. Uh, Hickenlooper will try to unseat Cory Gardner, who's kind of unpopular. I think Hickenlooper, I I was talking to my, my boyfriend, he said that he thinks he can win. Like John Hickenlooper was pretty popular. Um, so that seems like a real possibility. I mean, McConnell seems hard to beat in Kentucky. And this I've sort of heard this framed as like, let's put him on his toes. Like making him mount a defense is making, it, is making him weaker and affects the presidential race. But how does that really work? Like, what is the value of making Mitch McConnell like fight for it? Um, I mean, it, when you primary somebody who's as entrenched as, or when you try to like fight off somebody as entrenched as Mitch McConnell, I mean, you have to understand that, like, incumbency is an extremely strong. It's like an 800-pound gorilla in a room. It's, like, it's very hard to ignore it. It's very hard to, like, try to, like, win. Your job is to get out of the room, you know, <laughs> not to try to take it on. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> and and McConnell has has no, there's nothing that he won't do to maintain power. You have to understand there's, like, like if I thought, that like if he thought that like murdering children would get him a uh, keep his seat, he probably would do it. I mean, as long as it was like abstract and he wasn't personally murdering the children, he probably yeah. be pretty pretty fine with it. Um, I would be surprised if in some way that's happened. House. Yeah, <laughs> most most of the people on Snap are children. Anyway, um, so he he really doesn't have any kind of an issue with that. I think like there's there's some value if you can try to mobilize voters who have been uninterested and I think like one of the great things about this is that there was a really competitive democratic yeah. primary that's In super Kentucky, good yeah yeah you know? 
people talk about Democratic primaries um, being competitive as like a negative thing because there's a lot of tearing down and blah, blah. But like the actual truth is that if you've got a really competitive primary, you're actually fleshing out your candidates really, really well and get to see what they can and cannot handle. I think um, Amy McGrath has an incredible, the, the fact that she, she was like 50 points down in in-person voting and yeah. that really suggests for Booker an incredibly late surge, right? That that suggests that like people, you know, went to the polls and they were like, wait, 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 we want this guy. And I get that because um, Amy McGrath is is a little bit more tailored to like up going up specifically against McConnell yeah. on issues and not having the vulnerabilities that Democrats think make them weak against in statewide races against Republicans. And so they're trying to still pull those voters who might be in the middle. I think Booker was more of a fighter, which is what a huge chunk of Democratic base is really looking for. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, can McGrath consolidate the, the, what has happened between her and Booker into an entire plank for herself and say like, hey, we're all Democrats here. I'm actually going to pick up pieces of the stuff that he was running on so that way you can feel comfortable voting for me and turning out again. And that way that vote by mail advantage that she has, you've already got those votes siloed, right? Those are people who made their decisions and knew who they wanted very early. And the fact that she made it up, that 50-point day margin, like a 50-point on-day margin, that's crazy. She made that up and expanded just from the mail-in votes. Mm-hmm. That is an incredible strength to have if mail-in voting is going to be the way we do this. And the only way to do this, like, basically to discourage Kentuckians who are behind McConnell from wanting to, wanting to vote. You know, basically yeah. being like, eh, I guess I'll vote for Mitch. But, like, as long right. as you can create this little bit of a question at the top of that ticket, because she's going to be right underneath the presidential race mm-hmm. you know just just making that happen to get people excited to be like you know what i'll go with amy instead that can give her a little bit more of a push against mcconnell whether or not it yeah. work really depends on whether or not nationally democrats do anything to try to undermine mitch mcconnell's hold on the senate um yeah and yeah yeah i mean yeah. if yeah. anything it looks like these democratic voters in kentucky were very motivated and very motivated if she can maintain that yeah and i think it's good that in the end like like we said she was basically anointed and i'd I'd seen a little bit of criticism of her in in previous months but it wasn't until people really started looking at the alternative that people started asking questions about how she would move herself to the left a little bit or or answer for some some inadequacies frankly she has and she had to do that and like we always say, it's better to get that out then and get a lead on it and figure out how to address it than like suddenly be surprised when Mitch McConnell releases an ad where he says what Booker, what we were all listening to Charles Booker say in June. Yeah, and it gets even better actually if she takes those gobs of money because that's a really big thing is like having, the, the being able to afford campaigns is the most damning things about campaigns. Mitch McConnell has basically the entire national Republican infrastructure feeding him money. Yeah. I mean, he's he's going to be having, I mean, and possibly foreign countries because they stripped right. that provision mm-hmm. out of the Senate bill yesterday. I don't know if, if anyone's aware of this, but they stripped yeah. out the, the provision that said that you have to disclose if you receive foreign help 
<laughs> during your campaign. <laughs> and like, I feel like, first of all, yes, that, that is standard protocol. You are yeah. supposed to report that to the FBI by default. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually it was reported to the FBI. I, this is way, way back, but I think Al Gore got uh, George W. Bush's uh, campaign like Bible for the debates before the debates like someone had given it to him and he immediately reported that contact to the FBI yeah. wow. because he an- assumed that someone was trying to sabotage that campaign and for some reason he was like I actually think the American people should make decisions and not me tactically disemboweling my opponent by getting information that they should not be available to me and go figure. They thought, like, maybe we should just, like, each talk about what the best was best for the country. And then he stole a seat using Supreme Court. So you never know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I looked on Mitch McConnell's pinned tweet right now is, like, this really intense ad uh, bragging about how he got 200 judges. And, like, the, the language they use is, like, it's weird because it's the same language that I tend to use when I'm mad about it. But for them, it works in the opposite way. They're like, like they basically, the language is like, I, I have, they call him like a judge, a seat filling machine. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's the problem. Shouldn't be like that. So down. Yes. yes. Uh. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think that like, one of the things that I respect, but don't like about Mitch McConnell is that he understands exactly where his power comes from. And he does as much as he can to shore that up. And his voters understand what makes him powerful. So, like, I sometimes find when people, like, criticize Mitch McConnell, I'm like, okay, but you don't understand that those are the things that his voters like about him. Exactly. Like, there's no, there's no, for for us, we're like, this is bad and you should not do it. And they're like, we like that he breaks rules. We like that he doesn't respect his opposition. We like that he doesn't care about the rule of law. We We like that his wife runs the (laughs) transportation department. We like that he poses in front of Confederate flags. We we right. love these things. Also, right. it's, yeah. the state of the union, yet Confederacy all over that place. Come on, let's have a discussion about why this union state covered in rebel imagery. Deeply yeah. troubling. Deeply, um, that's yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. You know, in order to beat McConnell, I have to like reimagine the possible. Yeah, and that the things that you were just saying are ways that I think if the McGrath campaign works closely with Charles Booker and they know that that's the, like, that's the stuff that was he was able to identify in McConnell as an opponent, and, and I think as long as that remains part of like beating him, I think people will stay motivated. Moving into, into New York City. So last night, the city council slashed a billion from the police budget. This was ostensibly what people wanted. Uh, There had been constituents calling to, obviously there's a movement to defund the police nationwide. In New York City specifically, there was this $1 billion number. Protesters had, thank God for them, like bless them, been waiting outside of City Hall on an ongoing basis. It is not, it has not been nice weather in New York and they have been out there every day as lawmakers uh, have been talking about this and going to to work. so, yeah, they're doing the $1 billion cut to the six, originally $6 billion budget, but a lot of advocates I'm seeing are saying this isn't what we wanted. Um, it seems to be largely smoke and mirrors. So for starters, it would cancel the incoming July class of cadets, which I think is good right now, the NYPD. It's the largest police force in the United States and employs over 55,000 people. They would also cut funding for overtime. Um, a lot of 
police officers that have been police officers for a while can make hundreds of thousands of dollars with overtime. Um, like if there are docs where you can sort of see how many are making that money. And of course it's a risky job, but something's going on there um, that you have so many making hundreds of thousands of dollars when this city now has, I think it's a $9 billion hole in its budget because of coronavirus and it's going to have to lay off at least 22,000 municipal workers at some point. Um, but yeah, the, the New York City ACLU tweeted that this creates the illusion that the NYPD is getting a $1 billion cut, but really they're just moving the law enforcement officers into other agencies that they're, I guess, going to pay to pay the officers. I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, they're called, ACLU is calling it a cosmetic change that basically is just shifting the burden to other departments to handle things like this and doesn't actually cut down on the massive force anyway. So people are pretty disappointed today, even though the headline has been, oh, they got the $1 billion cut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think like, like we were just talking about like Mitch McConnell and the Art of Possible and, and uh, reimagining things. And like in order for this cut to mean anything, we would have had to like reimagine policing. Like, right now, our structures, especially in New York City, first of all, like, the most important thing is to figure out, like, where does power come from? Why is this 55,000-person force? Like, 55,000 people is the NYPD, but that is, we're not counting, are we counting admin staff in that? I don't think so. Are we counting, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not counting who runs the precincts, we're not counting anybody who cleans and organizes precincts, uh, log stuff, internal affairs. I mean, this is a whole ecosystem <laughs> of people who rely on it. And you've got police unions. The people who buy the fireworks. Exactly. Oh, the people who buy the fireworks. <laughs> the people who plant guns on people. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's a lot of people that have to get paid by the MIPD, you guys. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you've got all of this... Um, you got and you've got the police unions, which are extremely powerful. You know, there's the the Benevolence Association. Huh, what a name! Okay, God. very Orwellian. Um, <laughs> you've got you know you've got all these big police unions, and uh, those those also put their foot down really hard. You know, because they they've organized advocacy and a lot of. Um, a lot of, of elected officials rely on being able to get union support uh, in order to get elected. That's not even counting the number of like former police. I think there are more than a few elected officials who are former cops, including um, Borough President uh, of Brooklyn, Eric Adams. He used to be a police officer. So, you know, you've got a lot of public, it's kind of confusing because you'd be like, New York, not a fan of police. But like, yeah, obviously we also want safety in our yeah. neighborhood. No one ever said that like, and I think it's really important to understand because like my dad did a lot of community policing, organizing and, and stuff like that and peace and council. And like people still want police to react to things. They just want it to be taken seriously and to feel like they can be safe talking to police. And the truth is like, we can't because of how this is developed. So you kind of have to go back all the way to the root. When we say like defund the police, it's really about restructuring the entire concept of what policing is. And because New York City has not done any of the reckoning with that, and they, to be fair, there's not enough time. There's not enough time to sit down and say like, okay, what are we actually spending money on? Mm -hmm. 
No, a billion dollar cut. First of all, a six billion dollar police budget is fucking insane. Okay, I'm pretty sure London does not spend that much, and it is physically larger than New York. In addition to being hundreds of years, it's literally a, a millennia older than New York. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how how is it? They were the first police department. I want to be clear. There were also police departments were very very young. Yeah. People think, like, police departments are ancient. They're not. They started in the, like, mid-1800s. This is not a phenomenon that has been going yeah. on for so long. So people think that it's, like, entrenched in society. I mean, it's it's young. Police departments are younger than the White House, you guys. Yeah. Okay? They're, they're about the same age as the Washington Monument. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They're uh, quintessentially <laughs> American. But yeah, as you're saying, the size of the NYPD one, like I've always been quite disturbed that like if you go into tourist shops in New York City, like in Midtown, they sell you like NYPD paraphernalia. It's like a, it's like a thing. It's like a pride thing. I don't, are there other cities where that's a thing? Not to the same extent, I don't think. I really hope not. (laughs) There's also FDNY stuff in there too. There's definitely a sense of propaganda and people have called out law and order for being cop propaganda, although it's also a love letter to New York, so I'm going to let yeah. it slide. Okay. I've slide been thinking a lot about that. You see, you'd be like, I'm, that's, my, that's my corner. That's my corner. You know, like, it literally could be, yeah. It literally could be your corner any moment. Um, that's why like, law and order gets to stay, but like, okay. I, it's true. There are a lot of, a lot of issues and a lot of storylines um, and a lot of public support, and so you kind of have to think about it. Like they're going to move police. Basically they're just going to take funding that goes to police and move it to putting police in these other departments. (laughs) You know, like we've been talking about how problematic it is to have people with guns respond to mental health crises. It is incredibly dangerous to people who have mental and physical disabilities to interact with cops because there is, there's no training around it and their first instinct is to reach for a weapon when they can't figure out a situation mm-hmm. you know yeah when especially if somebody. the right that especially. is a problem that cannot be solved by like just like hey i guess we're gonna take your police budget your budget for these cops and put it into the mental health. like that that doesn't actually train them it doesn't actually give them the space think right, and talk- then put them in schools that yeah. seems like the opposite of the solution more, to this more problem is put more cops there, in there schools. There were always cops in schools from when I was attending public school in New York. Like, yeah. there's, I don't know when there weren't cops in schools. Um, I don't think my safety officer was armed when I was a kid. She was actually really nice. She's a black woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And she was like, like really nice and not armed as far right, as I could tell. That's key. Meaningful way. And I was in an elementary school, but I was also in an elementary school in like extremely rich Park Slope, mm-hmm. you know? And I was yeah. like one of like four black kids in my 30 person class. So like it wasn't, it wasn't, I was, the, the, the police presence <laughs> wasn't the same <laughs> as like if I had gone to a mostly black school where yeah. there's, hostility um and i think like that ultimately is a problem right it's not just like moving police into other locations it just brings the the bad training the bad outlook the bad performance to new and exciting places to shoot people yeah that's that's literally what it does 
<laughs> what I don't understand is that like Bill de Blasio is not running for re-election, right? Can't. So why is he so bad? Why I'm, can't he um, be better? He just is chronically just like, he's <laughs> just chronically spineless. Yeah. I, I mean, so. I, and self-aggrandizing. And also he and, and Andrew Cuomo have been in a pissing match for like an extremely long time. And sometimes it's just a matter of just like ego saying like, you're not going to get me to the bow in this thing. I think like one of the things that he's always been, uh, there are a lot of, I'm going to throw this out there. There are a lot of politicians who are really more worried about being criticized for their not adhering to white supremacy than they are of actually making white supremacy a problem. You know, there are a lot of people who are like legitimately more afraid of being criticized for not supporting these institutions that hurt people of color than they are of like actually the problem of those institutions hurting people of color. And, and as that maintains, I mean, like he literally used his black children to get elected yes. and then turned around and like made life, he, his daughter literally got doxxed and he is still supporting the police. And that just lets you know, like, oh, okay, so like, for anyone out there who's like, if you date, like, black people, or, like, if you have black children, or blah, 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 like, there's nothing white people that is going to get you out of this white supremacist structure, because that guy literally threw his adult daughter out to the wolves <laughs> and let police assume that she is, does drugs and uh, should be, like, I guess, killed by random people, like, Doxing is super serious, so yes. I'm very alarmed by like his non-reaction. Yeah, that was really yeah. shocking. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, perennial disappointment, Bill De Blasio. Ooh, and he ran for president. What was that? About? I can't believe that. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> was Embarrassing. Like, New York does not want you. What makes you think that any like no, sir? <laughs> right. No. The only good thing about him is that like you have someone to blame when you're waiting for the subway, like. Now it's um, firmly, I'm, I'm fine. I'm firmly blaming him. Aw, uh, I mean, that's, that's great. I also like to save some anger for Andrew Cuomo, who actually yeah. the MTA. That's true. He does. I'll give <laughs> him like that. Very, They're always, like, pretending. Andrew Cuomo energy right now. Yeah, he's, he's definitely um, taken a turn for the worse <laughs> in, recent, in recent weeks. I don't know. Maybe he misses his daily briefing, and he's just trying to get attention. Oh, wait, what? He misses cameras? Well, I cannot <laughs> ever believe that about Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's our show. And we'll see you, Caitlin, tomorrow night on our live show. Yeah. At 8 p.m., where all the hosts together are going to be pitching our worst, uh, our worst. Oh, actually, in fairness, Caitlin, we decided to expand this to worst person in government because people did not obey the rules. So you are at liberty to change your choice. Okay. Okay. If you would like, because people didn't follow the rules and everyone was giving me governors. And so I was like, all right, fine. So you, I, mean, I have to offer that to you as well. Abbott is, I mean, if we're going to do that, then you know what? It's fine. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm happy with my choice. I'm happy with my choice. I'm happy with your choice too, because actually the reason why people chose Abbott is taken. And the reason why Abbott's taken is because uh, Getz was taken. Yeah, I put him in the, in the, we're prepping all the materials and I just put like Matt Getz, Florida man, and somebody took out the man and I was, and they were like, oh, you had an extra word there. I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I want to call him he Florida man. <laughs> quintessential Florida man. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. Betches.